Hello, Carm here with Town Hall Academy, episode 168. Now get ready to listen to four stories from the coaching front lines that you may just relate to. Hey, think back on your stories that made a significant change in you and your business. And really, quite honestly, by shifting that paradigm, he's been able to recreate in his business what his father was never able to create and ultimately led to his exit from the business. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here, the Aftermarket Podcast Guy, with hopes that you value this pure form of audible aftermarket wisdom. You know, we've been delivering outstanding podcasts for five years now. Now, just think about the talk radio that you listen to. What we do here is we bring specific aftermarket acumen to you on demand, free, and available 24-7. This is pure aftermarket networking at your pace. Hey, do you have some time on your hands? I bet you do. Now, maybe it's time to review your SMS shop management system. It's time to give your customers and staff the end-to-end digital experience that they deserve. So consider upgrading your management system to Shopware. Get more profit in less time. Now, find out, get a free live demonstration, and review shop owner testimonials at GetShopware.com. That's GetShopware.com. And keep in mind, as it relates to the COVID pandemic, we're bringing you great audio and video content. We're talking the CARES Act and the next round of funding, along with insights on what the new normal may be. And we're talking to your peers about that. I know that there's a lot of information available through suppliers and coaching companies to keep you tuned in to the ever-changing and fluid business environment. And I'm so glad you're doing that and that you include Remarkable Results Radio as one of those resources. Now enjoy business coaches Mike Bennett from ATI and Mike McGrory from Repair Shop of Tomorrow as they share four client stories with you. Not only will you hear the individual strategies that they've provided their clients, but what becomes of them. I love hearing stories and relating them to my situation and also looking at alternative solutions to get to the same end. Learn something from that. So in this episode, a story on partner buyout and the company that needed a 30% increase in sales to pull it off. Also another story on overcoming low gross profit, a good story on the challenges of a huge generational paradigm shift, and another story on the proverbial excuse, you don't know, but we can't do that here. You just don't understand. Ever heard that before? Find the talking points that will make a great meeting agenda at remarkableresults.biz slash A168. Hey, keep in touch. And thanks for getting your aftermarket podcast fix right here. Well, I would love to welcome Mike Bennett from ATI. Hi, Mike. Hey, Carm. How are you today? Good, man. Glad to have you here. And Mike McGrorty from Repair Shop of Tomorrow. 
Hi, Carm. How are you? Hi, everybody. Great, Mike. Glad to have you here. Listen, we're going to uh, ask these guys to, to tell us stories from the front line. Uh, we had Greenwood and Haas on last week. They did a marvelous job. They told some great, great stories. I truly loved it. It went out as a podcast Thursday. You can watch the video on my YouTube channel. But here we go. Mike, I, I want you to start out. I, I love you. Brought two fabulous stories. I just can't wait to hear them. Let's start. My goodness. I mean, trying to find trying to find two stories in, in, in a lifetime of stories can be really difficult. And, uh, you know, ask me three weeks from now for some great stories. And, and it's probably going to be boiled all down into this pandemic stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I think the reality of, of uh, a couple of a couple of experiences that I've had that have just, you know, really, for me, kind of completely solidified. Um, you know, my understanding of, of the value of coaching in, a, in, a, in, the, in the coaching program. The neat thing I've had is I've been on both sides of the equation. I was a, I was a shop being coached long before I became a coach coaching shops. And uh, although that's what I do full time now and I have for about nine years, I do get both sides of that equation. You know, one of the stories that I think, you know, for me has really solidified you know, the true value, the ability to change a course in a direction to really affect you know, long-term, you know, the success in a business relationship. I have a family, a, a family-owned business that I met. They, they come from Northern Virginia. You know, when I met these folks, it, it was really after a, a very, very traumatic experience. This business has been around since 1947. The situation was, you know, this is a family-owned business. It's been around for a very, very long time. Um, and quite honestly, you know, generationally, it's been grandfather to father and then father to son. I actually met Son in the business about a year after a very traumatic incident. It's kind of funny you opened up with the uh, the dialogue on shopware because a management system was the was the final straw that brought about this this story. And so, if I may just quick, uh, uh, quickly preface it, uh, one of the things that happened about a year before I had the opportunity to meet John was uh, he was working at a fa- this family owned business that had been around for for since 1947. His dad was running the business in, in very much the same fashion that it had been run for, for the previous 50 or 60 years. And, uh, you know, one day their management system, which was an old DOS-based system, dad wasn't much on computers to begin with, completely crashed. And apparently it was the final straw for dad. Uh, end of the day on a Friday afternoon, he, he walked out and he said, John, I'm done. Threw him the keys and said, send me a check, young man. So that really became became the beginning, uh, which often happens, uh, the, the launch of John from becoming just a simple technician in a family-run business to actually becoming an entrepreneur. We met John about a year later as he as he entered our program. It was very interesting. You know, we we have been very familiar, meaning ATI, with John Shop for many, 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 many years. Uh, they had we had actually been talking with with John's father for years, and he had really resisted the coaching program, you know, telling us we've been in business since 1947. We've survived every level of the industry's change and in, in economics. We don't need you guys. Well, interestingly enough, John felt differently, and, and that created a real opportunity for us, um, a real opportunity for, for John and I to partner together and really, you know, change the paradigm of, of everything that he had grown up with. Uh, when John started with us, uh, as I said, he was a technician, mostly in the bays, trying to work with a service counter and figure out how to operate a business, had never had any formal training whatsoever in business and really was left with no structure from his father. 
And uh, what we ended up with, uh, you know, where we kind of started, I should be, should say better, was we started with a business that that was, you know, utilizing about 25% of its capability. At that time, it was running around the eleven dollars to $12,000 range mark and uh, really struggling, quite honestly, to stay alive. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that, that John and I had to do very quickly was kind of face the deeply ingrained belief systems that were in this business around him. And although John was a much, much more forward thinker, the business was incredibly stuck in its, in its paradigm. It was very stuck in the things that it had traditionally always done to be successful since 1947. The problem is, is that business and time moves, but sometimes business models don't. And so what happened is, uh, you know, slowly that business eroded away from one of the most successful businesses in Northern Virginia to one of the weakest businesses in Northern Virginia. And we really spent about a year to a year and a half trying to break down the belief systems, um, you know, quite honestly, the misguided belief systems and really kind of change the process, so to speak. And so bringing into the coaching ranks, you know, the the value and, and what really for us seemed to work so great there was, you know, coaching is kind of interesting. You know, when you, when you go into a situation so often, you know, these are very powerful individuals with, with great sense of pride and great sense of, of, uh, of, of understanding what their business has always been. But quite honestly, you know, they have belief systems that just hold them entrenched in, in very difficult positions. So oftentimes what we have to do is help change belief systems. We really have to work hard, you know, in, in creating a do environment by teaching the how and the why really changing um, both understanding and therefore the ability to actually move past these belief systems and paradigms. Hey, hey Mike, I want to stop you there for a minute. I, I just love what he just said. Somebody's got to stop for a moment and think that to create a do environment by teaching mm-hmm. the how and the why. I mean, let's just let that sink in. Okay, it's sunk in. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. We got that sunk in. And so, you know, really what that is, is as, as I say, you know, oftentimes, Fixing a process um, is is an, an incredibly simple thing. It's it's a mechanical thing. It's no different than replacing a water pump or diag- diagnosing a check engine light. It's just figuring out where the disconnect is and, and and putting in something that makes it work or makes it function or changes its operation. Almost always, changing the belief system that held the bad bad process in place is really where we have to work the hardest. And so, you know, as I said, the early early um, early stages of of a coaching relationship is about breaking down what we've been doing incorrectly and trying to install a better way to do it by really, as again, bringing in not just the how but the why. And once you start to kind of change the why, and we can get everyone on board with it, what it really does well for us is it is it creates an environment where everybody begins to understand their role and how they work into it. Um, for us with shop owners, it, it, it's really all about being able to turn you know the mechanics of a situation into developing a manager. And a manager, by definition, is somebody who facilitates something being accomplished, facilitates change. And oftentimes we have to work really hard with shop owners. And in this case, it was with John to really change the the deeply ingrained belief systems that held the bad processes in place. And ultimately, you know, by creating now a management level situation, you know, we can ultimately start to 
do what I think is most important. And what we do is begin to, to nurture and foster and train leaders. And in creating leadership environments, what we do is we no longer are just managing a result. We're training others to be better. And ultimately, by being better, they'll take responsibility for their actions and they'll take responsibility at helping others be better at what they do. So the, so the backside of the story, without just trying to relate general uh, coaching to it, is, you know, we've been able to facilitate, you know, John and I over uh, about an eight-year period of time, not only the reinvention and the relaunch of his family's business, which has grown from, say, you know, a, a, a $650,000 to $700,000 um, enterprise, to now several years later, we're, we're running not only a $2 million a year operation, that is back to being fully staffed, fully operational, and very successful. But we've also gone as far as to manage and then therefore develop not only John as a leader, but John's ability to create leaders below him. And ultimately, what we've ended up with is a completely self-sufficient organization in which John has now been able to pull himself back out of the business, allow it to operate very functionally on its own, the dream of every owner, and really, quite honestly, by shifting that paradigm, he's been able to recreate in his business what his father was never able to create and ultimately led to his exit from the business. So it, to me, that's one of the most, a representation of one of the most complete coaching and mentoring cycles that, that we can have. It's about being able to completely reinvent, in this case, who John was and, and his entire business model. Good stuff, Mike. Uh, very inspiring story. Generational. Does this happen more often than not? Can can you go out and can you basically say, well, yeah, Carm, 60 to 70 percent of these generational issues really start because dad just doesn't want to get out of the way and change. So when we're talking about it from a generational structure, um, shops that have had some level of hand-me-down, so to speak, whether dad's still in the picture or dad's exited the picture, but his impact has been so strong that even, even after exit, it's so deeply entrenched and this is the way we've always done it and here's who we are and here's why we can't do it that way. I would really say that actually occurs in, in probably 80% of the cases or more. In most cases, we've got that, that uh, generational roadblock if you understand what I mean. Sure do. And in 20% of the cases, we actually have the opposite occurring, which is once we've made that generational change, they're, they're desperately looking for a way to change and fix the model. So it's either we're entrenched in it generationally or we're completely opposed to it, almost a rebel, so to speak. You know, a lot like we kind of see in society with, uh, with families and, and uh, kids. Hey, Carm here, and I bet you think of your shop management system every day and wonder if it's time to make an important change, a change to a modern, efficient, and powerful system. Now, instead of thinking about your old system, I want you to consider Shopware, a comprehensive cloud-powered shop management system that gives your customers an end-to-end -end digital experience that will help you sell more services while making your customers happier. And who doesn't want happier customers? In a study of work orders written and shared on Shopware, sharing the digital work order with your customer generated a 12% increase in their likelihood to buy. Now, that translates to additional sales in your business. And with Shopware's proprietary parts GP optimizer, you can boost your parts margin with the click of a button and leave behind the pain of managing an old parts matrix. Put solid gross margin dollars back in your business because Shopware 
puts huge computing power into making you successful. Now it's time. Make the switch to Shopware. Get a free live demonstration at shop-ware.com and find out how you can make more money from happier customers. Fabulous. So much to take away from that story, Mike. Thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's a great story to start with us. Mike McGrorty, how are you? Good. I'm doing really well. Good. Glad to have you here, sir. So this story is, um, when, when this shop came to us, the first thing that they asked us for was two things. Number one, they wanted to grow their business about 30% because the young man was taking over and buying out his partner and they figured that's what they needed to make in order to get this thing moved forward and make it happen. And the second thing was he wanted to learn how to run his auto repair shop. And that's pretty unusual. A lot of people don't really come out and, and tell you that I need the tools to learn how to run my shop. So after about a year, he actually doubled his business. He missed the 30%. And he got his business up to about $2 million, which is incredible. And as I look back at the reasons why, and you know what, what set him apart, what, what was the difference there? A couple of things really stuck out. Number one, he did everything that we asked him to do. And for shop owners, that's really difficult because a lot of guys, you'll make suggestions and yeah, sometimes they'll do them and sometimes they won't. You know, there's excuses like, you know, it won't work in my area. My shop's not built that way. Things like that go on. And even though we know that it's proven, it's tested, we know that it works, sometimes people uh, don't take the suggestions that you give them. And, you know, speaking of that, we can make the suggestions we can sit down and make a plan for you, but you still have to go back to your shop and um, take action and implement everything that we tell you. And that's one thing that this guy is really good at. He implements the heck out of everything. The second thing was I noticed is he's always asking the right questions. You know, like, how can I improve my shop? Uh, how can I improve tech productivity? Um, you know, what can I do to raise sales? How can I improve my KPIs? You know, things like that. So he's always asking the right questions. And also, he's got a fantastic culture in his shop. And he works really hard at that. It didn't come by accident. I mean, he puts a lot of time and effort into it. And you can tell right away when you walk in the front door, you know, somebody is greeting you there. Everybody seems to be happy that's there. There's no chaos. Things are running smoothly. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether he's there or not. It's running pretty much the same way. And I got to tell you, if you don't work on your culture in your shop, uh, somebody is, and it might not be the culture that you want, but somebody is developing the culture in your shop. And then the last thing is, and I think this is the biggest and most important thing and the hardest for shop owners to do is I've watched him over the past two years transform himself into the leader, the CEO of the business. I mean, this guy, this young man truly runs his business. He's not the technician. He's not the service advisor. He's not the driver of customers' home. He runs the business. And I think that's so important right now today with COVID-19 or, or really with anything that comes up. Um, you need the time to make sure things are running smoothly. I mean, your responsibility is to make sure that your customers are safe, that your employees are safe, that your you know, doing the right things like bringing cars in, uh, training, uh, you know, while it's slow and, and doing those kinds of things. 
And there's no possible way you could do that while you're under the hood of a car. Um, and, and again, during COVID-19, what I really like about this young man is he's talking about, you know, what he's doing to get ready for what's next. You know, he knows that this thing's going to eventually be over. And in Ohio, we have that stay-at-home order that's going to be lifted, hopefully May 1. I mean, the, the governor yesterday did say May 1, he's lifting that. And I know cars aren't going to rush back in immediately the, on May 4th, but he's getting ready for it. And like one of the things that he's doing is completely redoing the inside of his shop. So they're painting the shop, they're putting down the epoxy floors, and they're reorganizing it so they can become even more efficient when they come back. And then, you know, that's something that you can look at. What did you do during this downtime? And, and you know, he can point to this. You know, we redid our shop. Uh, we worked on SOPs. We did training, uh, things like that. And, and I just think this is such forward thinking as to, you know, talk about what's next. Good stuff, Mike. Thank you so much. I took some great notes. Let me summarize. You had the ideal client, Mike, right? <laughs> he did everything you asked him to do. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, he asked the right questions. They had a great culture, and uh, he uh, was part of a leadership transformation, which really helps the business. There's a comment that came in. It's not really a question, but a comment. It says, we have techs that come in and say that it's not how we do things. They're talking about where they worked before, and they seem to think as owners we're going to change to what they were used to doing. And I think you have to be careful and resist that because you don't want to have disruption going on. But one thing that he does is he has shop meetings. He has meetings every day, but he has uh, larger shop meetings once a week to explain to everybody, just like when a technician comes in and says, hey, we did it this way at our last shop. We should be doing it this way at this shop. Well, he has meetings to explain to everybody what's going on and how this process works. And I guess like sharing his vision and what the goals are for the shop so that everybody can understand so that, you know, he can change their thinking. Hey, uh, Mike Bennett, great first story. I don't know. Can you top that? It was funny. Uh, you know, as Mike started his story, you know, one of the things that he mentioned is, uh, you know, he started off with, with a great shop owner. And, and I think, you know, listen, in the coaching ranks and in life, you know, we always talk about the 80-20 the rule. Quite honestly, I think the 80-20 rule really is, is a little too broad. It's really the 80-10-10 rule, right? So 10% of your shop owners in business or in a coaching program come in and they're just sponges. They really have, you know, great energy and great ideas. They're very open. They'll, you know, as Mike says, they're going to listen to anything that you say, you know, and, and those are the shop owners, quite honestly, that we can have the biggest impact on. They're the ones that are primed to learn and execute, which is the most important part. You know, the, the vast majority of shop owners fit into, you know, that group of 80%, our st standard shop owner guys, the ones that uh, have all the best intentions, bring a little bit of, of misguided belief systems to the table. And, you know, they, they want to do the right thing. And sometimes they just can't quite let go or they struggle a little bit in execution. Maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's they're a little bit weak in, in, in either creating their vision or uh, um, executing and, and communicating their vision. Um, you know, some things that maybe affect a little bit how much they can, how successful they can be. And of course, 
We have the other 10%, which, you know, in a lot of cases, you have to say to yourself, you know, my goodness, why would you even think about joining a coaching program? Because really all you're doing is interested in telling us why it won't work. They're the ones you really got to work hard with to try and change those belief systems. Um, you know, but I, I think quite honestly, you know, one of the things that I probably find the, the most challenging and the most rewarding is really dealing with those shop owners that are that are in that middle 80%, right? The ones that that know that something should be better. Um, they want to be better, but they're their own worst enemy in a lot of cases. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I have another shop owner that, that I'd love to tell you a story about. And uh, it's really about the reward out the backside. You know, when your business teaches you, you finally have done the right thing. And, uh, you know, this was a circumstance that, that um, when they came to the, to the program, um, you know, it was a business that was doing okay. It was fairly stable. Um, you know, their business model was, had been rather repetitive. Um, you know, what they were really looking for from, for us was to kind of the help to get to that next level. But, you know, unlike the story that, that Mike was just telling us, which is the, which was a wonderful story. I mean, it's so impressive to hear about these guys that just embrace and reinvent themselves. You know, we really struggled with Leon for quite a while. He, he was really, quite honestly, that shop owner that hears what you say and he listens to what you're talking about. But he really philosophically just couldn't believe, you know, this is a this is a somebody that was, you know, came to the program with a 40 percent parts margin. And Mike, you just don't understand in my market. You know, my customers aren't going to tolerate an increase. You know, we're, we're a blue collar market with very fixed incomes and they're very frugal about what you do. We just we just can't change that 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 parts margin at all. And, you know, Mike, I know my labor rate's low in comparison to the cost that I have because I have the best technicians around, but you don't understand. My customers, they're just not going to come to me if I raise my parts, my labor rate, right? They, they, they're just not willing to pay that much more. And we, you know, and so the early struggle with Leon was really getting him to be able to, to not just understand what needed to change, but understand why his business was already valuable enough to command more in the market. You know, he was already delivering the best service in the marketplace. He had some of the very best technicians in the market to deliver a really quality product. No one cared more about his customers and the quality of the service that they delivered than Leon and his crew did. The only thing they didn't believe is that they were worth it. And so one of the hardest things we had to do was really overcome that ability to, to not see yourself as, you know, the only way I'm worthy is if I struggle. And get them to believe, you know, being successful is is equally as important. And and understanding that when you value yourself, those around you will value you even more. And so, you know, once we could kind of get Leon to to get over the what's not possible, Mike, you don't understand. We can't get there from here. What we ended up, you know, seeing in him was somebody that began to understand that. You know, it was about being able to to be healthy and, and a profit wasn't a dirty word. And he really began to more importantly understand the value of the product that they delivered, being willing to attach a monetary value, not just a, an emotional value. Right. And that being the nicest guy for the least price didn't make him valuable. It was about all of the things that he did and all of the tremendous service that he was able to provide. And so, you know, what ends up happening is, is coaching in business a lot of times is momentum. 
And sometimes the hardest thing is to get a shot moving in the right direction, especially in a case like this where, you know, a lot of a lot of what was holding back the shop wasn't process. It wasn't procedure. It wasn't talent. It wasn't customer or, or car count. It was really the belief in the value of what they did and therefore being able to, to receive, you know, back a, a, a equal and just um, compensation for the things that they did. But once you can kind of chink through that and really help an owner envision uh, and realize, you know, that things can be different, it, it's very interesting to watch the, the shop transformation to begin to become, you know, to gather steam and gather momentum. So much like Mike talked about with his very successful shop that he's been working with, early on, the, the great success with Leon wasn't just about fixing margins and fixing labor rates. It was really about fixing Leon's belief system in the value of his business and what his business uh, meant to his, to his customers. And ultimately, as he began to learn that, it became much easier for Leon to start to see the value in those that work for him. And he started to equally invest in their development, you know, really working on systems and processes. Again, you know, talking openly and honestly, incredible transparency with his crew, whether that was in the daily huddles before we, we went out on the floor to start working or in our, our weekly lunch and learns where we're really trying to help our staff understand, you know, either something new mechanically or something new that we're doing in the business. And ultimately what he did is they, they came together as a team <clears throat> and began to create a very functional structure, right? They started to put in uh, you know, the, the, the processes that, that made them be very consistent. You know, we were able to start, Leon was able to start trusting the process and trusting his people, not just necessarily having to do it all himself, running it based upon his belief systems. And what we got is a fairly, uh, not a very functional and repeatable and duplicatable business model. Not only were we able to help Leon improve his, his, his overall uh, weekly output going from a range of you know say uh, fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars per week, growing to you know well over the the million dollar um, a mark. But most importantly, he he started to create a team that allowed him to have very duplicatable model. So the key part of this story is is that it took a very ugly twist. All too often in this industry, where it's a very very physical industry, and we as the guys who've kind of come up in it just beat the bejesus out of our body. Leon actually went into the hospital for a very simple procedure, should have been able to, to get out within a day uh, and, and return back to work. You know, it's one of those things you leave your business, you take an extra day off at the end of the week. Hey, I'm going to have a little something done. You know, you guys wrap the week up. I'll be back on Monday. For Leon, Monday never came. The, the simple procedure turned into very bad complications. Leon was in the hospital for two to three weeks and was unable to, to even be at all part of the business model. Wasn't able to communicate with the shop. In most cases, because of medication, wouldn't have been much good to him anyhow. And ultimately, uh, you know, when, when Leon left the shop, or excuse me, left the, uh, the hospital, um, he left with very significant physical challenges, being unable to, to really walk and maneuver and, and, and uh, power himself on his own. Spent several months at home you know, rehabilitating and really getting his ability to function just in a normal day's environment kind of back on track. But the neat thing that occurred here is 
the begin the business continued to operate without them. You know, the business stayed engaged in the coaching program and stayed engaged in following the, those great processes and procedures that at a team they had really developed. And as a crew, they had really embraced based upon, you know, their, their owner's guidance. And ultimately what it ended up happening is, is when Leon finally was able to, to reinvent himself, build himself back into, you know, physical capacity and return to the business, you know, he was able to return to a business that was actually not only functioning as well as it had when he left, it was actually doing better to the point where he had really re-engineered himself out of that particular shop and it created an opportunity to go out and duplicate it again with shop number two. And so, you know, the hard work up front, the re-engineering of that business really gave him the opportunity out the backside to just realize tremendous value and, and growth based upon the hard work up front. What a great story. Thank you so much for that, Mike. I, I have a question, kind of the tagline of this thing, of this story is we can't do that here. Is part of that reason, Mike, is that I have so much heart for the customer who got me where I am that I just don't want to raise, you know, my gross profit margin to them at all? Is is it, it it's maybe not a mental block that profit's not a, an ugly word, but does does the heart get in the way? Oh, all too often, uh, more often than not, it, it's either <clears throat> it's either hard or self value, right? Uh, and then what I mean by that, it's it's what goes both ways. In some cases. You know, you 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 feel sorry. You empathize. You're you're making business decisions in essence with their pocketbook, right? Um, you know, you're thinking with what you perceive um, is their ability and their wherewithal, and that can be a very debilitating thing because what you're doing is you're really connecting your um, your business, your ability to make decisions, and in essence, your self worth with with what you believe they should or would be willing to pay you. And that can be a, an exceptionally debilitating thing because it's a great risk. You know, if, if I do this, will they not like me anymore? Um, and so what they do is they, they think with the value mm -hmm. of that perception of the customer, you know, so that, that is one, I think one of the most difficult belief systems to kind of, kind of break is, is that idea that, you have to believe in what it is that you do. You know the worth of who you are, and great customers are more than happy, um, you know, to pay you know pay pay a fair price for that service. Mike McGrorty, uh, hey man, you've got the you got the final word here. Great. This is a story where I had to work on the owners and, and fix them first, and and that took quite a long time. I mean, this was months and months worth of work. But this one's all about money. And when they first signed up with us about a year ago, the first thing that they told us was, we're not making any money. So what I wanted to do was gather up their financials to find out where they were at, see what they were doing, and maybe how, how best I could help them right away. And then I wanted to uh, have a phone call with them to find out what not making any money means, because that can mean something different to different people, right? So I called them up and um, yeah, they told me, they said, we didn't give ourselves a paycheck in 2019. Yikes. And uh, hopefully they called the right guy because what I lived by was pay myself first, fund my retirement account and have an emergency fund. And I'm telling you, if you're not making any money, I know two things. You're not funding a retirement account 
and you don't have an emergency fund. And I think it's so important with COVID-19, I mean, having some extra money laying around is just so helpful. I mean, it opens up so many things that you can do, but you need to make money no matter what. It, it doesn't matter whether it's a downtime or an uptime, you need to make money all the time. And the first thing that I noticed is that they had several fleet accounts, which made up about 40% of their business. And I kind of wanted to take a look at those first because I know sometimes shop owners um, like to make special deals sometimes to fleet accounts. And you know you hear this all the time, well, this gives my uh, technician something to do during downtimes. But sometimes they make special deals that maybe they're not really even making much money on the job. So I asked them if they could separate those out and let's see what they're making on each one. The first one that we looked at, sure enough, they weren't making enough, only about 38% gross profit, which they're really only trading dollars. So, and, and really what they told me next was, we don't want to lose this account either. It took us too long to get them. Uh, it took us too long to build up a, a rapport with them and get them to where they were spending uh, what we thought was enough money. Now, these folks were only paying about every 90 days also. So not only were they only making 38% gross profit, they were the free bank. So, you know, think about it. Where do you get eighteen or $20,000 for cash flow if they're not paying you? So, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't think of either. So what I had to do right then was fix them, talk to them about, you know, why making money was important and how this looked. So what I showed them was how this account looked in their business right now and then how it would look without it. And I think there was some sort of fear factor if, you know, if we lose this business or this uh, fleet account, our business is going to implode. But actually, after they saw it on paper, they understood that they were actually going to make more money. Their gross sales were down a little bit, but they were actually making more money. I think eventually they did lose this account. So what I did was take a look at the rest of the fleet accounts, and we did have to do some tweaking to get those up to a reasonable, I, I guess, an acceptable level where they were making some sort of money at it. And then what I wanted to do was look at the, the rest of their business to see where they were pricing out work uh, to uh, non-fleet accounts. So when I talked to the owners, they told me, well, here's how we mark up parts uh, in the matrix in our computer. Here's how we do the labor. And then here's how we do the repair order. So I wanted to talk to the service advisor independently of them because he was pricing out 90% of the work. And this is where it gets really interesting. When I started talking with him, he told me a completely different story, not even close to what the owners told me. And, you know, things like, you know, sometimes I use the uh, parts matrix, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I use one that I made here on this cheat sheet myself. And then sometimes I charge the regular amount for labor. And then sometimes I don't, you know, depending upon the customer. And uh, I thought, man, this is not right. So I had to get the owners on and the service advisor and myself onto a conference call and get this thing settled and you know, ask them, how do you want to price this work out? And let's set up a system. So I asked them, can you take notes of, of what we're talking about right now today so that everybody in the shop can understand how much we charge, why we charge it, and what we're looking for. So I'm happy to say you know, it is a success story because they are up 15% on their gross profit. They're starting to take a paycheck. 
it's not all the way there. It's not exactly what it should be, but it's, it's a whole lot closer. And then with our LPM program, I also set them up with a dashboard so that they could look at their numbers and see if they're making money because they really weren't looking at their numbers. So they kind of didn't know whether they were or they weren't. Five years ago, yeah, they were making money, but today they weren't. Great story. Uh, Fleet during COVID, I've been talking to a lot of people, Mike and Mike, that uh, because they've got some fleet businesses really helped them during this this time. Um, I am sure that story you just told, Mike M., yeah. Uh, coaches have heard over and over and over again that I have my matrix and I do it this way. The owner thinks that's what's going on, and there's a lack of a real solid systems and or processes in the company. I'm sure you've had to work on that. And finally, you said dashboard. And I know both of your companies use dashboards. You know, are those those have got to be you know, right up there for an owner to see. You know, if you will, uh, what what the what what's going on in the business. Yeah, I mean, I think those are so important because, you know, when you're looking at things like productivity and effective labor rate uh, and uh, profit on on uh, labor, you know, those are important numbers. And if they're off even just slightly, like I'll give you an example. If you do 100 hours a week, and I'm just using 100 just for so I can do easy math because I'm not that good at it. And uh, somebody once told me never do <laughs> math in public. But uh, if you're off just $10 on your effective labor rate, that's $1,000 in one week. And think about what you saved the customer. Like Mike Bennett was talking about his client saving his customer money. You, If you had a two-hour job, you only saved the customer 20 bucks. You know, on a four or $500 job, what's 20 bucks to them? Like Mike says, they, they would, they probably would gladly pay the extra $20 to have that job done right the first time at your shop. But $1,000, and if you carry that out a year, I'm only going to say 50 weeks. That's $50,000. That's a lot of money. And, and that's only being off $10 on the effective labor rate. So that's something that's extremely important that you've got to be looking at all the time. Thank you for doing public math for us, Mike, <laughs> and, and do, making, making that challenge. But, you know, what, what I think is so important is I think you just may have shocked some of our listeners out there to realize that uh, this little tiny chunk here at the end of the year is a really big chunk over there. You know, the, the individual, like, th- that's the greatest point in the world. The individual, we saved them 20 bucks. Uh, and at the end of the year, I lost 50 because of all those individual transactions. Wow. This was great. I am committed to do more shows like this by bringing in these coaches' stories. I, I think you guys nailed it. I thank you so much, Mike Bennett from ATI and Mike McGrorty from Repair Shop of Tomorrow. Thank you for giving us uh, 45 minutes of your Friday afternoon. I appreciate you being here. Stay safe. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.